0: how's it going new philadelphia (laughs) my first thought was how am i going to preach with all these people up here sorry oh it was funny to me okay maybe that was just the holy spirit sorry uh give me one second all right hallelujah our god is good amen Oh wow, that was a powerful time right there. I was not expecting that. That was thank you, Holy Spirit. That was that was great. Um just uh yeah. I didn't expect I was thinking, man, there goes my sermon's gonna get cut in half because of what's going on up here, but it's all to God's glory. Hallelujah. So it's really good to see. God's raising up a, a very special and mighty thing at this church, amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. I just came back with the Myanmar team. Myanmar, where you're at? Where you at, yeah. Myanmar? Myanmar, Myanmar. Yeah. Myanmar. Yeah, get them, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, so we had these different, like, uh, slogans that we, we were saying throughout the trip. It first started out kind of just jokingly, and then we ended up actually praying the things we were saying. Like, so, like, I guess is it Benny Hinn who says, like, when he prays for somebody, he's like, fire on your life. Right. So we would just like randomly yell that throughout the trip. And then we ended up praying for people and we're like, Lord, fire on their lives. And we didn't realize what we were saying. And then uh our our trip was also marked with a lot of joy. And so I think a lot of that came from this. Also, another slogan we had called get them, Jesus. I think uh, David Cain kind of started it, praying for people, get them, Jesus, get them, Jesus. And then we ended up praying it. So uh, I'm definitely filled with a lot of joy right now. Especially, I had a tough week, but the Lord is good. He just fills you up like that. So I'm really blessed to stand up here right now. So tonight, I want to give you a message about worship. Um, tonight's message is about worship. And specifically, worship in terms of the last days, end times. Because I truly believe that we are rapidly approaching the time in which Jesus is coming. You believe that? Let me hear an amen. Yeah, and so... And I believe our church, as Pastor Christian was talking about, our church is a church that has that apostolic calling on it. A church that's meant to go out and to raise up that army. And that army's being raised for a specific purpose. And it's to go out and just really fulfill that great commission so that our Lord Jesus Christ can come back to a beautiful bride. And so tonight I want to talk to us about, talk to you about the end time. is an end times church. I believe our church is is a church that's going to be used in a mighty way to hasten the day of our Lord's coming. And so I want to talk to you today about worship, what it means to be a tr- what a, a true worshipper and an end times worshipper looks like, and also what it means what that end times worship would look like. So I want you right now to open up your Bibles to Revelation 14. it's the last book in the bible revelation chapter 14 and we're going to go through verses 1 to 7 so what we're going to do is i'm going to read the first verse you're going to read the second verse we'll just alternate and then i'll pray all right is everyone there let me hear amen all right good everyone's a fast fast flippers they're, they're there quickly hallelujah all right ready Okay, chapter 14. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the And the springs of water. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, that you are the God who was and is and is to come Lord. We thank You Father that Lord You Father God are building up this church Lord God and You're building it up for a mighty call to the nations Lord God. Father God we thank You Lord God that Father God Your fire is on this church Lord God and Your fire Lord God is going to spread and it's already spreading Lord God. It's spreading to Sydney. It's spreading to Myanmar Lord God. It's spreading throughout the nations Lord God and Father God we are ready to see more of it Lord. Father God we pray that Father tonight You would just Lord God anoint my lips Lord God as I speak may it be words Lord God that equip your church Lord God and ready it Lord God to truly be a church that says come Lord Jesus and welcomes you in triumphant procession Lord God I pray Father God I bind every work of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus I just take authority over it and I silence every lie every distracting spirit I bind it in the name of Jesus and I command them all to leave in the name of Jesus and I pray Father God that where the enemies fled you will loosen Lord God your anointing You would loosen, Father God, worship. You would loosen, Lord God, your spirit, Lord God, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord God, that the eyes of our hearts would be, Father God, just opened and enlightened to the knowledge of you, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that, Lord God, you would just open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our spirits in this time, Lord God, that we would be blessed, Lord God, by you, and we would, in turn, turn around to bless you back. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... We're going to dive into the book of Revelation today. And so I want to the name of this sermon is called Worship Before the King, okay? So I want to talk to you about worship today that's going to take you before the king. And this title it kind of just r- rang in my head from uh when we were in Myanmar we were praying for uh, one of the pastors there and uh Brady Brady had a a brother Brady had Head was, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. He was talking to an angel? Okay. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, he asked, the angel asked him what he wanted. And he said, I want worship that takes us before the king. And, uh, after that happened, a lot of miraculous things happened that night. Hallelujah. And so tonight I want to talk to you about end times worship that's going to take us before the king when he comes and, and we cry out to him, come Lord Jesus. So we're going to dive into the book of Revelation. How many of you guys like this book, the book of Revelation? You guys read it often? Yeah, there's so many so many people in the church today who are afraid of reading this book. Like, I don't like to read the book of Revelation. They say the, the imagery is too scary, or it's too hard to grasp, or it's too much to take in at once. But to tell you the truth, the book of Revelation is going to be one of the most important books In the Bible for us as we continue on. That this is a book that you need to be praying through. This is a book you need to be reading and opening. And asking the Lord for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because everything in this book is going to happen. Okay? So, everything in this book is going to happen. Jesus is going to return. Tribulation will occur. And we as a church must begin to prepare ourselves to be that triumphant end times bride that Jesus is returning to. I say it again, Jesus is returning. Are you guys happy for that? You ready to see Jesus return? Does your heart long to see Jesus? There's some people like, you ask them like, are you ready for Jesus to come back? And they're like, you know, I'd rather he come back a couple years later. Let me get my house. Let me get settled first. And then Jesus come, come on. But Jesus is returning soon. And so we need to get ready as a church and that means we need to dive into the book of Revelation. And so we need to ask the Lord for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to expose the truths in this book so that we as an end times army can begin to prepare. So I'll go back to the verses that I just read and I'll read it again. And we're going to unpack the, we're going to unpack these seven verses bit by bit. And I, and I think the Lord's going to quicken some things in you about worship and what you need to be holding on to. As the days, months, and years go by. Okay? So I'll read it again. Chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their heads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on, on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So at this point in the book of Revelation... John has has already seen the beast. And he's already seen this this end times beast that comes. And he's he's subjecting humanity to the mark of the beast. And then he's brought to this vision. Of the 144,000. And so I want to start with verse 1. Then I looked. And behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with them 144,000. Who had his name and his father's name. Written on their foreheads. So. When he looks up, he looks up in the highest place. He sees Mount Zion. And who does he see? He sees the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Because that's who he sees. He sees the Lamb. He sees Jesus. And with him he sees 144,000. Now, I read different different interpretations of the 144,000. And if you go back to Revelation chapter 7, it lays out the 144,000 and the different tribes. Marked out, 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. You know, it just goes on down. And some people say that that is actually the literal, like, church. Like, that's that's Israel right there, the 144,000. And that'll be the Jews, that exact number at the end times. And then there's others that say that that is the end times church. And so for the sake of tonight, I feel like that the Lord has placed in my heart that the 144,000 tonight is us. It's the end times church. And so true end times worshipers, he says the 144,000, that's us. They have his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So what does that mean when he says their name has the lamb's name and the father's name written on their foreheads? That means that they were sealed unto the Lord. And so that's the first mark of a true worshiper is that a true worshiper is sealed unto the Lord. That the mark on their foreheads is a mark showing that those of Christ have been sealed unto the Lord. And it differentiates the people of Christ from the people of the enemy. You and I are sealed unto the Lord. We are anointed and sealed by His Holy Spirit. It says it in Revelation 14.1 as I just read. Has His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. Revelation 3.12 says, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and my own new name. Galatians 6.7 says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks, the mark of Christ, the mark that is so that we are sealed unto the Lord. And in this end times picture, the Lord uses this seal to completely to show on the opposite end what the enemy's trying to use. And we all know this, right? It's called the mark of the beast, right? It's real scary, right? The mark of the beast. But we're not supposed to fear the enemy. We're supposed to fear God. And so not fear the things of the enemy. But in, in Revelation 13, it talks about the mark of the beast, right? And so those of us, we have been sealed unto the Lord. True worshipers are sealed unto the Lord where those who are not are sealed unto destruction. Revelation thirteen sixteen 16 17 says, Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so as I was reading this, and i was asking the lord for a spirit of wisdom and revelation as i was reading this he was showing me that there's two camps and this is how this is how it's always been and this is how it will be as we rapidly approach the time when christ returns you will have those who are sealed unto destruction and eventually it will become a visible seal on their heads and you will have those who are sealed unto the lord but we are we're always sealed unto the lord the day in which Well, before you even accept Christ, because we believe that the Lord has predestined us, he has always sealed you and that you are always sealed unto him. And so this mark and the seal that Christ places on each one of us as his people is a sign to those in heaven and on earth of our total commitment to Christ and a mark of victory and faithfulness unto the Lord forever. And so the seal that God places on us is one that no one can take away. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21 to 22 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the first characteristic, the first trait is that we are sealed unto God. True worshipers in the end time church is one that will always carry the mark of God. Sealed unto Him. While those who are not will forever be sealed unto destruction. And so that's the first thing I want you to notice. So I'm going to lead you through points to show you what true worshippers look like. And then I'm going to show you what true worship looks like. So the first point is that true worshippers are sealed unto God. The second one, if you, if you keep reading, verse 2. And I heard a voice... From heaven like the roar of many waters And like the sound of loud thunder The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists Playing on their harps So the worship is not True worshipers are not only sealed unto the Lord But true worshipers in the end time church Are ones that must begin to carry that worship Higher and higher than it's ever been before So we've experienced that in Friday Fire, Right? There's times where we're praying and everyone, we, we experience this tonight, where everyone's praying and it's, it stays at a certain level, it's at a certain volume, and it stays there pretty constant, everyone's praying. And then all of a sudden it hits like another, another level. It hits like another octave, right? Another octave and another decibel level, right? It just gets louder and higher and all the guys, their levels are like, they're like praying higher than they've ever prayed before. Like everything's just higher. And it's because the end times church is going to be one in which God is taking us into a higher and deeper levels of worship than we've ever been before. See, John is talking about right here, the sound of heaven. It's a voice. It's one voice. It's the voice of of many waters. It's the voice of many peoples coming together in one voice. A sound to which we are going to bring before the king. That is unlike anything else in all creation and in all eternity it 's so much that John calls it a new song. You know, like we always talk about sing a new song unto the Lord, sing a new song. But the song in which God is preparing for our church to lift up to him is going to be it 's a song unlike anything else you 've ever sang before it 's a holy melody it 's a holy cry that comes from the deepest parts of within. And so it's no more, it's not, God is not taking our church to stay at the same levels of worship anymore, amen? God is not wanting our church to just stay with the continual levels of the same songs and the same songs we know before and the same artists. He's wanting us to go even higher and higher. He's wanting us to go into places where sometimes we're just singing and we're all we not even all singing the same words. But we're all just in worship to the king to a place that is higher and deeper with the Lord than we've ever been before. A place of intimacy and worship with him that is the sound of heaven. The sound of many waters in which it sounds like a rushing rapid unto the Lord. And it's a sound that's pleasing unto the lamb. That's where he's taking our church. That's where he's wanting to take his church as a whole, to a higher level, to a deeper level, to a greater place of intimacy. Not to a place where it's the same, same old worship. Even like, you know, it can, we come to this church and, and this church is awesome. I love this church. And the worship, when we worship, we, it's like dancing and it's free and, but the Lord's wanting to take us even higher than that. That that even when people come to our church and they, and they sit in the back and they listen to worship, they're usually like, wow, you guys are crazy. But the Lord's not wanting to just take us where people outside say the worship's crazy. He's wanting to take us to a place where we're like, man, that was crazy. Okay? Because he's wanting to take his end times church higher and higher and higher. He said a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. It's a it's a song that reaches the highest place and reaches his ears and turns his heart. You want to sing worship to the king that captivates his heart and turns it back to you with just passion and love. And that's what he's doing with his church. That's what he's doing with his bride. He's raising it up with when we raise up them holy melodies and love songs. And the best thing about this song is that no one can sing it but us. He goes on in verse 3, he says, No one can learn that song except the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. That the song that the Lord is giving His church is a song in which no one else can sing. Anyone can go to iTunes and buy a Hillsong CD. Anyone can go to a CD store and buy, I don't know, a, a Deluge CD. But... The song that the Lord has given us as his bride, as his people, is a song in which no one else can sing but us. And that's a mark of a true worship. That we would sing a song unto him that no one can duplicate and that no one can take away. That those who are bought and sealed by the Lord, redeemed unto him, are to worship him in a new song. To sing an endless love song unto the Lord. And so, and then there's other qualities. As I go on, we'll go on, we'll keep going into verse 4. Because there's a couple more qualities of true worshippers I want to unpack. And then we're going to go into true worship. And the next one says, verse 4. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. So when I read this, I was really trying to figure out what he was talking about. But... The Lord is saying when he says that it is these who have not defiled themselves. He's saying that this is a church. His end times bride is a church that will be a pure one. That his church will be a spotless one. So committed unto him that it will abstain from all other temptations. That God is going to build his church and he's determined that we would have no adulterous way within us. But to stay completely pure and devoted unto the Lord. The Lord wants His church pure and holy. And this is a good word for you and me. Amen? Because God is saying that He wants us righteous unto Him. He wants all of us. He doesn't want just part of us. He doesn't want just Sundays and Fridays. And and He doesn't want just the small group meetings. He wants all of us. That we would not be defiled or separated or split off in any way. But that we would be completely pure unto Him. And that's A mark of the true worshippers that he's wanting and he's looking for. And he says, and then he goes on in in verse 4, John does, he says, And it is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And this is a specific word I felt like for our church. Because this is a call to the end times church to be a warrior bride. That That this would be a church that follows the Lamb, that follows Jesus wherever he's seeking to go. We're a church that seeks to follow God wherever He's wanting to go. Amen? amen. We're, we're a church that wants to follow God into Myanmar. Amen? amen? We're a church that wants to follow God into Cambodia and Thailand. Amen? amen? We're a church that wants to follow Him into Australia, into America, into Europe, to the ends of the earth. Amen? amen. And this is what He's saying, that it will be these, it will be us that will follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And it was... And when as soon as I read that, what he's also referring to is the mighty men of David. The mighty warriors throughout the Bible. Pastor Christian preached about the mighty men of David. You remember that sermon. And he talked about the mighty men that were around David. And those mighty warriors that were lifted up, the mighty warriors of David, they followed David wherever he went. They followed David wherever he went. And that was a picture Of our church. And that's a picture of the end times church. That we would be people. Mighty warriors. That follow the lamb. That follow the true picture. That follow the fullness of what David was supposed to be. That he. The fullness. That we follow the lamb wherever he goes. That we follow him into every battle. We follow him into every dark area. And we shine his light. Amen. And that's. That's also what he was talking about when he said, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. See, in the Bible, whenever, in the Old Testament, whenever the men would go into battle, a lot of times their order was that they had to abstain from sexual relations. And what what that was doing was that was showing that they had a pure and holy commitment unto the battle in which the Lord was sending them into. And so what the Lord is saying through this is that our church will be one in which is wholly committed unto the Lord to follow Him wherever He goes. And that we will look to see what the Father is doing. We will look to see what the Son is doing. And we will go out to want to go do what we see them doing. That we will be a church that goes out to serve and follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Jesus said in John twelve twenty six, If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where i am there will my servant be also and if anyone serves me the father will honor him true worshipers are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes and that when we do that we find our exceedingly great reward we go out and we see christ manifest over the nations We see his name lifted up, people set free, bondages broken, and the fire of God falling upon the churches. And that we would be that kind of end times church to lift up the worship to the king. John continues on, he says, These have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. See, He's not saying that we would just be holy unto Him. He's saying that we wouldn't just be wholly committed unto Him and that we wouldn't just be warriors after Him. But that Jesus looks at us and God actually looks at each one of us and He calls us His first fruits. He looks at each one of us in the church in which He rejoices in and that He will come to vindicate is one that is the first fruits of the land. That it will be one... In which is set apart above anything else. See, the first fruits is always the best of the bunch. The pick of the litter to which is chosen out of all the others. You know, Abel's sacrifice was 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 honored by the Lord. Because it was the first. Cain's was not. It's like the first fruits throughout the Bible that the Lord always required. Even when we tithe unto the Lord, it's bringing the first fruits into the storehouse. And the first fruits is what the Lord is, that's what He looks at us as. He sees us, He sees His church as the first fruits, as the pick of the litter. And Christ Himself was that very first fruit. And He died in order to redeem us, to make us the first fruits out of many for the Lord. See, we will be a church, and we are a church that is set apart in power, In love and in wisdom, that the world would not be able to identify this with this church. That we would be so set apart, so much of a first fruits unto the Lord, that the world would not be able to identify with us. That we would be holy unto the Lord, picked out of the, out of the scrap heap of the world. We would be picked out as the first fruits. There are so many churches nowadays that that don't identify themselves as the first fruits. They don't want to identify themselves as being separate from the world. They don't want to identify themselves as dying off to the world. They don't want to identify themselves as being the, the churches that that are set apart unto the Lord. And so they water down the gospel. They water down the power. They water down the truth and holiness. So that what we're left with is a church that looks like us and not like Jesus. But God is saying that his end times church will be one that is a first fruits unto him. That he's wanting to raise up this church to be one that is completely set apart from all the things in this world. So that we would live in and for Christ. And then verse 5 he says, In their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. This last part is so important. This this is the last quality of a true worshipper in the end times church. It would be a church in which no lie was found, for they are blameless. Because in order for us to be worshippers that enter into the presence of him that sits on the throne, we must be people beyond lies and deception. We must be people that are completely holy in the character of Christ. See, when it says that in us no lie was found, for we are blameless. It is a picture of Christ. In Isaiah 53, 9, it says, in Him, it says, in Him, no lie, no deceit was found in His mouth. And the end times church filled with worshipers will be those who not only want to be set apart like Jesus, but that we should identify with Christ in His holiness and in His strength against all temptation. See, God is building up our church to be one that is sealed unto Him, pure and spotless, And set apart as it follows Him to the ends of the earth in worship. Amen? Amen. That we would be a church that is that is raised up completely in love with the Son of Man. Amen? Amen. And that our lives would be just defined by that continual worship. But what does that worship look like? What does that worship look like? We read on in in verses 6 to 7. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. It's just saying that words going out to everyone. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The Lord is calling us in these last days to connect with a new song that is going to shake the world. The Lord is calling us now to connect with a new level of worship. To connect with deeper and deeper places with the King and with the Son of Man. That our hearts would burn unto the knowledge of God. That our hearts would be one that are just connected unto Him and we would just worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He gives us a clue of what this looks like because John sees it when the angel goes out. And he proclaims it in verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. There are three elements of worship that the angel points out here for his end times church. And these are the three that I want you to connect with tonight. The first is that we must fear God. The second is that we must glorify Him because of His judgments. And three, we must worship Him who is the creator of all things. So the first thing that the angel said, he said, fear God. And that's because the worship... That our God is looking for to rise up to Him involves fear. The fear of the Lord is the first element of true God honoring worship. And it is the most elementary aspect of worship. If you do not start with fear and worship, especially in the end times, especially in these days in which Jesus is coming is rapidly approaching, we will lose the awe. We will lose the trembling required. To approach the king and in order to stay steadfast with the king. Proverbs 1.7, we all know this verse. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is not, it says the beginning of knowledge. And I, I preached like two sermons like a couple of weeks ago about the knowledge of God. About just knowing God and what it means to really connect with the kingdom and with knowing him Intimately. And that when it says the beginning of knowledge, this is not a knowledge of God like knowing him, like reading a book. That many people are able to read the Bible and they they know God like reading a book. They can recite all the verses, but there's no heart knowledge. It is being filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation unto who he is. The person and actual intimate knowledge of the Godhead. And it's being taken into the closer places with God. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning. It's not all of it, but it's the first step. And for you to enter into that place of powerful worship that's going to sustain you, it's got to start with the fear of the Lord. We can't first enter into those places without fear. Without first the fear of the Lord, there is no worship. Worship will always involve fear. Why? Because you're worshipping the God of the universe. You're worshipping the God who made heavens and earth. You're worshipping the creator God. And diving into the intimate details of that God is a little scary. (laughs) I mean, you look throughout the Bible and even the holiest men of God that were used most mightily by the Lord had a holy fear of God. Moses, was afraid when he realized he was in the presence of the Almighty and he hid himself. Isaiah, when he was in the temple, he realized it. He went face down. He went prostrate before the Lord. All these people, when they, throughout the Bible, you just read through. Gideon even. When he realized that he was in the presence of the Lord. He was shaken and the fear of the Lord hit him. Because the fear of the Lord was the first step before they even entered into worship. Moses was afraid in his initial act of worship before the Lord was hiding his face. Even the Levitical priests, when they entered the holiest of holies, they entered with fear and trembling because if they were not clean and holy unto the Lord, they would not exit alive. There was a fear that gripped them. When they enter the Lord. And see today in, this, in these last days. God is going to restore that holy fear of Him. That we would fear the Lord first and foremost. This is a hard word to talk about fearing the Lord. But the Lord wants us to connect with that first. That we would not be a people that come in on Sundays. And that we spend our Sundays before service. Completely just not even coming before the Lord in awe. Not even preparing ourselves that we're about to worship the King of Kings. We're about to enter into the presence of the Lord of Lords. That we would not take that time casually. But when we come before the Lord, it would be a time in which we ready ourselves because we're about to come before the God of all creation. We're about to come before the God Who has power over everything. He is the Lord God Almighty. That it would not be a casual thing. That the church today has grown just so casual with the Lord. That we can just enter into His presence as if He is no one. When He's the God of the universe. But the Lord is going to restore a fear of Him. In which when we step into His presence, there is a trembling that shakes us to our core. That we realize the one that we are coming before who is worthy of worship. Is also worthy of us bowing down before him. And lowering ourselves before him. For our church to grow into the knowledge of the Lord. For our church to rise up in the last day to worship the Lord with spirit and in truth and in power. We must be the one that fears the Lord. Proverbs 1, 28, 29 says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. This is a warning from the Lord to a church that doesn't seek the knowledge and the fear of the Lord first. He says, They will call upon me, and I will not answer. They will seek me, but will not find me. We are a church that wants to see the Lord move in power. That when we speak that things happen in the spirit realm. That when we worship, angels appear and demons flee. But it must first begin with holy awe and trembling before the Lord. It's not a, we must be filled with the fear of the Lord first. Not a fear of this world. Not a fear of man. But a fear of the Lord. Because it will be the fear of the Lord that will help us when the world is persecuting us and threatening us with death. It will be the fear of the Lord that will help in sustaining us to not bow down to idols. To not praise God and also worship idols. To not be a people, a mixture. In Myanmar, we went to this church. And while we were in this place, as soon as we entered, we could tell that something was not right. We could tell that it had a form of godliness but no power. And it was because the people... And it was because there was no fear of the Lord. The fear of man gripped the church greater than the fear of the Lord. And we began to inquire. We began to say, what's going on here? What is causing... Because we were praying for people and nothing was happening. People, Some people were getting touched, but nothing was happening. There was confusion. There was disarray. And there was just so much chaos and we were wondering what is going on in this place. And then we begin to inquire and we begin to find out that there's idolatry in the church. And then we begin to inquire with the, with the pastor and we say, pastor, there's idolatry in the church. And he says, I know. Pastor, there's idolatry in the church. You need to remove it. You need to take it out. Your church needs to be pure and holy and spotless. He says, what can I do? What can I do? They've been here. I can't do anything. I'm just a man. But sir, you're you're anointed. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're a child of God. He's placed you here as a shepherd. I can't do anything. He had a fear of man rather than the fear of the Lord. That the Spirit was grieved as, as we went into that place because there was no fear of God in that place. It was the fear of men that gripped him. And we have to be a people that is not afraid of man. But that we are afraid of the Lord. The second thing the angel says, he says, Give him glory. He says, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And the second aspect of this worship that we need to connect with It's directly connected to the fear of the Lord. But it's one in which, in view of God's judgments, we should be a people that are continually led to glorify Him. That true worship is led with a reflection on the things, the works that the the Lord has done. We are led to glorify Him. David said, wonderful are your works. Such knowledge is too high for me. I cannot attain it. When David looked upon the works of the Lord and the judgment of the Lord, the righteous judgment of the Lord, he was only left to glorify Him. And we have to be a church that does the same thing. That it is in view of God's judgments that we should always be led to glorify Him. Whether it's His mercy or His wrath. As I was going through this, I felt like the Lord gave me revelation unto this verse that I've always read. And I've never ever picked up on it. And it was First Corinthians ten thirty one, where Paul says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, talks about doing it unto the glory of the god of glory of God. And when Paul said that, he's saying that in each and every moment of our lives, in response to God's judgment and his mercy, we should be left giving him glory. Romans 12.1, right? It says we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. But why does it say that? It says in view of God's mercy. In view of God's judgment. In view of God's work of His hands on the earth. Our worship must be lifted up to Him, giving Him glory. That we must give God our all. In view of everything that He has done and everything that He will do. And the judgment and the wrath of God. The judgment of the Lord that is coming that we read about in Revelation. It's not something that we should be like completely avoiding. There's people that read this thing and then they don't even... It's too scary. I don't want to talk about the wrath of God being poured out. But it's something that we as Christians, people who are sealed unto the Lord... Jesus even said, he said, not one hair on our head shall perish. We are the very righteousness of God. That God even said, the righteous shall never be moved. That when God pours out his judgment and his wrath, it's not to shake us, it's to shake them. It's to shake the fallen world. That we should not be people that read this book, or that read the book of Revelation, or the book of Daniel, And these end times messages. And we shudder out of fright. Because we somehow think that these judgments are coming to harm us. But out of our identity as the bride of Christ. The one that's looking to say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We've got to be a church that looks unto these judgments. And we welcome them. That we welcome the mighty moves of God in our land. That we welcome the moves of God on the wicked. Because we know that these moves are only signs that our Lord is coming soon. That's not to say that we don't go out and we, we evangelize. That's not saying that we just sit in Friday fire and we just pray, Lord, bring your wrath, bring your wrath. No. But that's saying that we should be people that welcome the moves of God. That when we read about the tribulation, we need to be a church that's readying ourselves for it. But we're readying ourselves... For with eager expectation, because that means that Jesus is coming soon. That means that we're gonna see Jesus soon. Face to face. Hallelujah. But that's not something that we would cast off out of fright. But the Lord wants us to pray into it. I mean, did you ever think about that? About the book of Revelation? That it's not a book of scary threats. It's not a book where the Lord is just threatening us that I'm going to send fire and locusts and terror and plagues and it's going to hurt and all this stuff. But that the Lord is instead foretelling our coming salvation. That the Lord is instead foretelling the redemption of the world and of the creation that has been longing for His appearance. This book, I was talking with my roommate. I believe it was... Earlier today or yesterday, and we were talking about the book of Revelation. And when he spoke something to me, it just quickened in my spirit. And I was like, oh, that that sounds right. The book of Revelation is not just, it's not just prophecy that we read and say, oh, it's just going to happen. But it's a prayer manual for the church. It's a prayer manual for you and I as we enter into the days in which Jesus is coming. That we would tap into these things. That these some this is a manual for you and I to tap into the throne room, to tap into the greater things of God that He's going to be pouring out. That we would tap into the words of a great harvest coming. That we would tap into the words of a of a, a spirit that outpouring over the church that's going to change everything, that's going to hit every single person that enters the sanctuary. That we would tap into the word that His church is going to be strengthened when the world is persecuting us. That we would tap into the words that our church will be filled with such a holy love and desire for God that everything else around us, even when the world is turning to idolatry and adultery and turning to worshiping idols, that we will be one that is just so lovesick with Jesus that our only cry will become, Lord Jesus... Come, Lord Jesus. And that we would pray through every single work. And when every bowl is poured out, we would rejoice because we know that that is one step closer to our Lord's appearing. This is one step closer to us seeing Jesus. This is one step closer to being with Him for an eternity in heaven and ruling and reigning with Him. This is one step closer To that final victory. Where the enemy is cast into the lake of fire. This is one step closer. We would be a people that long for that. We pray into these things. We wouldn't skip over this book. But that we would say, come Lord Jesus. We want to see all these things happen because we know you're coming soon. Is that the cry of your heart? Come Lord Jesus. Because that's the mark of His church. He will raise up a bride that loves Him. And loves Him. And loves Him some more. He's going to raise up this church to be a bride that calls out to Him in that way. And He's going to raise us up to go out. And to bring the fire of His passion. To bring other people into that love as well. But that's the mark in which he's wanting us to tap into. That we would welcome these moves. Because we know that he works all things for the good of those who love him. And we love him so dearly. And that we would give him glory for it all. And the last thing. Is that we would worship him who made heaven and earth. The sea and springs of water. The angel said fear God. Fear Him. That that's the beginning. Fear God. And then give Him glory for His judgments. And then he says worship Him. Who made heaven and earth. The sea and springs of water. And once God has readied the true worshippers. And He's showing us what true worship he's opening the door to true worship showing that we should not fear man but fear him that we should welcome his moves on this earth he's saying that then i want you to be a people that is captivated with me a people that is just enclosed with worship and adoration for me this is a culmination of the first two and then it adds some more that we would fear god and give him glory And then that we would step in deeper to get to that highest place of worship, singing a new song before the Lord. And he says, worship Him. And why does he say, worship Him? He says, worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. He's calling us to worship Him first and foremost because He is the Genesis 1 God. Because He is the Creator God. Because He created all things. That he is that we would connect with Him before His love and mercy and righteousness. We would connect with Him first out of His power to create all things. If you read in Revelation 4 and so many people like Pastor Paul every time he comes he preaches out of Revelation 4. Every time I listen to a sermon from like IHOP or anywhere they always have Revelation 4. But Revelation 4 is a a remarkable chapter. And if you look at verse 11, it says, when the, when the 24 elders, they bow themselves before the Lord, when they bow themselves before He who sits on the throne forever and ever, when they bow themselves and they cast their crowns, the thing they say unto Him is they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. That the focus of the angelic beings and the 24 elders and the four living creatures, the seraphim, the burning ones, the focus of them is worship. And when they worship the Lord, they worship Him because He exists as a sovereign ruler and creator over all. That is why they worship. Because the Lord has created them, made them, and gave them purpose. And that purpose was to worship. That purpose was to be before Him. And in the same way, God has made us with that intention of relationship that is defined by worship, defined by love, just being emanated back up to the King, back up to Him that the entire story of creation stems around worship and around that divine question of where we as humans in God's image place our worth. All of human history, in fact, has stemmed upon this one thing as well. I mean, you look at sin. Sin is nothing but a deviation between us and rightful worship. Sin clouds our view of the throne. And we end up worshiping the sin that we see instead of the king that sits on the throne. And the Lord is calling His church to worship the Lord, our Creator God, who formed our inward parts, who knitted us together in our mother's womb, and who made us fearfully and wonderfully who sits on the throne and rules forever and ever. He's calling us to worship with passion and adoration. Because He is the God who has created all things. You look at all these other religions. And they all deviate in one or two areas. They either deviate at creation or they deviate at Jesus. If they deviate at creation, they probably deviate at Jesus. And the Lord is calling his end times church to be one that's going to worship him because he's the one who's created us. He looks down upon you. He says, do you know how much I love you? I made you. I fashioned you together. It's like when I was little and I used to make like little Play-Doh things. And when I'd make it, I'd rejoice over it. I loved it because I made it. It was mine. I made it. I fashioned it. The Lord looks upon each one of us and He loves us with even more passion. He says, I made you. Every strand on your hair, I planted it there. I'm the Creator God. I made all of creation for you to look at and say, wow. Like in that everything skit. Right? When this, and they're like, Wow. I made all these things so that you would look upon creation and then you would have no excuse but to glorify me and worship me. You'd have no excuse but to seek my face. I love you that much. I love you that much that I protected you. I clothed you. I knitted you together when you were in your mother's womb. When no one else could see you, I was forming you. I was doing my work in you then. And even before then, I had chosen you. Even before then, I had made you. Even before then, out of my love, out of my adoration for you, I was creating all things. This last passage is so amazing because it, it calls us to the heart of God. To the God who created us in his own image, in love and for worship. The gospel is about worship. The gospel is about worship. That's what it's about. God died. He became a man. So that we, because we as a people have placed our worth elsewhere. He looked down upon us. And he saw that we cannot attain where he was. And so he took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself. Why? Because Adam and each and every single one of us. We place our worth elsewhere than on the throne. We place our worth in the things of this world and not on the things of God. And God died because we had done that. God died to have a people redeemed, holy, and blameless for worship. It's all about worship when people persecute you, when people tempt you, when the enemy tries to draw you away, he's always trying to do it in worship. He wants you to bow down to other things. He wants you to submit to other things. To worship the things of this world and not the things of God. Because it's all about worship. God's love, God's mercy, God's judgment, and everything that God does in our lives, It's not just to make us happy while He loves to do that. And it's not just to give us strength and joy because He will continually provide that. But it's to first and foremost make us better worshipers. That when God moves in your life, when you're created in Him for good works in which He's purposed in advance for you to do, is to make His church and to make His bride A better worshiper is to make you a better worshiper. When we sinned against God, we could no longer step into that place of worship before the Lord on our own. The communication lines for, for worship were broken. But when He became flesh and died for us, and it was Christ sealing us, leading us, Dying for us, redeeming us so that we may stand before Him in enjoyment of Him. In a joy that glorifies Him. He did it so we would stand before Him in worship. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. That Jesus died to make you a better worshiper. We are made for everlasting, 24-7, all eternity worship to the glory of God. I mean, do you, do you realize that? That as you walk this earth, when there are all these things that are trying to enslave you, make you a slave to fear, make you a slave to addiction, that they torment you, All these things that you feel like you can't cast off. These are things that are trying to interrupt and hinder your worship. And Jesus has died so that we would be made holy to stand before him and worship. God didn't have to do that, but he did. God's love and mercy is so great. And so amazing. Because he would choose to bring out a people in his image. A bride. Spotless out of darkness. He made us the first fruits. He made us that special people unto him. He pulled us out that we would be that special church. That is set apart. That is holy. That has no deceit in his mouth. That reflects the character of Christ. That through his own blood we would fear him. We would glorify him and worship him with a passion. Unbeknownst to any other creature in all creation. Nothing else can worship God the way God has intended us to worship him. And he did it so that in love and in joy and in adoration we would declare his majesty and wonder throughout all the ages in worship. He did it so that you and I would be brought high to worship Him forever. He did it all for worship. Let's pray. Father God. Oh Lord. Father we take. We just take calling you Father. We take it Father God for granted. We take it for granted. We take for granted the fact that you have created us. We take for granted the fact that you. Are the almighty God. We come before you Lord. And and Lord we just. We take it all for granted sometimes, Lord. But Lord, you are calling us to a higher place. Is Lord, you made us, Lord. You fashioned our inward parts, Lord God. You made each and every one of us, Lord. And you didn't make us, Father God, just so that we would, just so that we would have Christian lives, Lord, that were, that were defined by bits and parts of revival. You didn't make us so our Christian lives would be just bits and parts of fire. You didn't make us, Lord God, so that our lives would have ups and downs, Lord God. Lord God, you made us for worship, Lord. You made us, Lord God, so that, Father God, our lives would be defined by our love for you, Lord God, and the love that you placed in us, Lord. For, Father God, we love because you first loved us. And, Lord, it is your love, Father, that is going to sustain us. It's going to bring us to that place of worship, Lord. It is your perfect love, Lord God, that is driving out, Lord God, all the fear of the enemy. It'll be your perfect love, Lord God, that's going to drive out all the fear of man. Lord, when we see, Lord God, that you are a God to be feared. We see, Lord God, that you are a God who vindicates your people. That all the wrong and all the, all the persecution and all the hardship that the enemy places on us and that the world places us through, Lord God, and all the hardship that creation is subjected to, Lord. You will be our vindication. You will be the one, Lord God, who who comes in your amazing love. And Lord, so we, we commit ourselves to you again, Lord God, in worship. Lord, may the cry of our hearts, Lord God, just be, Father God, to come before your throne, Lord God, To humble ourselves, Lord God, and to declare that you are holy. That you are worthy, Lord. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. All glory, honor, and power go to you, Lord. May we not be a church, Lord God, that just gets, Father God, wrapped up in everything else, Lord, that we forget to worship. But may we be a church, Lord, in which the power, the love, and the wisdom all comes out of the worship, Lord. It all comes out of our hearts being, Father God, just so in love with you, Lord. That, Lord, we would, we would just want to pour that love out on other people, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just shake us, Lord, out of complacency, Lord. Shake us, Lord, if we've gotten used to your spirit. Shake us, Lord, if we've gotten if we compromise with the things of this world and bring us back to that place of worship once again, Father. For it will be worship that will sustain us when the world is worshiping idols. It will be worshiping you, Lord, and being lovesick with you, Lord, that will sustain us when the world hates us and ridicules us. So, Lord, build up our hearts to worship. Build us up to love, Lord. We just thank you, Father God. We thank you so much, Lord God. We can't say thank you enough, Lord. For eternity, Lord God, we will be expressing our gratitude unto you, Lord God. I just thank you, Lord, that you became flesh. <laughs> that you were the God sitting on the throne in heaven. You became flesh. You became nothing. We look over the fact, Lord God, that you have became Nothing. And died for each one of us. Lord, we look over the incarnation, Lord. We look over this. And we look over the life that you've lived, Lord God. But bring us back to that place, Lord, where we connect with all of you, Lord. Father God, just thank you for this church. Build up this church to be a church that, Lord God, goes out, Father God, to spread that that mantle, Lord God, to spread that fire, Lord God, of of passionate worship and love to the nations, Lord God. That we be unashamed of the gospel. Just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us to worship you. And you're making us better worshipers each and every day. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.